Welcome to the Curious Climber podcast. You're listening to Mina today and I'm talking to Katie Whitaker, who is a really good friend of mine, which makes this, I guess, like a slightly different feel podcast um, because we know each other pretty well. We've lived together in the past and Katie has um, a really interesting kind of climbing background. She's been climbing really since early, an early child. She doesn't really remember starting climbing. So we're going to talk quite a lot about her upbringing and how she got into different types of climbing. She's done quite a bit of kind of hard, scary gripstone climbing, which we'll we'll talk about in quite a lot of depth and her experiences there with managing risk and understanding herself and her motivations and how that affected the things that she did and didn't do within climbing. We talk a bunch about her sport climbing goals and again, some of her experiences there with developing as an athlete and a person and how her relationship and her identity within climbing has changed over the years and developed as she's kind of learned more about herself and about what's really important to her. So I think this is a really interesting um, conversation. I think often with climbers like Katie, we know about them from what they've done and we know about them from, you know, the news articles and the, you know, so-and-so has done this or done that. And I think this takes us under the lid with Katie and and gets more of a sense of her as a person and some of the whys and whats and understanding her process and development underneath those sends and those climbs. And we also talk um, quite a bit at the end, she's recently started a family, she's got a two-year-old and how that change and process was for her as an athlete and a climber um, and now being a mother as well. So a big thank you to Katie for spending the time having the conversation with me hope you enjoy it. So thanks for doing this, Katie. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No problem. This one has a kind of different feel to it for me because I guess over time, Hazel and I have both interviewed or had conversations with people that we don't know or that we know a little bit or that we've connected with over social media. And it's kind of a rare thing to do it with someone that you already know really well. And um, for people listening that don't know, Katie and I have been friends for years. We actually lived together for about, is it four years? Yeah. Was it that long? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and Katie, Dad, uh, we don't live together. Katie lives in Wales and I live in Sheffield, but we're obviously still really good friends. Um, so it definitely has a different kind of feel to it, having this kind of chat. Um, Is it just going to be us nattering away? <laughs> yeah, it could just turn into that, couldn't it? Um, but I wanted to start this conversation kind of earlier, kind of well before we knew each other, because you've been climbing since you were quite young and actually I have as well but I remember when we first met thinking that our backgrounds in climbing were so different because I came from a very non-climbing family like really supportive um, in terms of me wanting to get into climbing things like that but didn't really know anything about it whereas yours was kind of the opposite wasn't it you were quite an outdoor centric climbing family and I always wondered how that changed your kind of initial experience as a climber like I guess Identity-wise, did you feel, do you ever remember not being a climber? <laughs> no, um, no, yeah, that's what's like weird is that I don't like remember starting climbing. Um, 
I remember doing my first lead indoors, but we were, my mum and dad were just always into uh, going walking in the mountains, uh, scrambling, not necessarily going trad climbing. I th- like when we were little, they obviously couldn't do that. So we went on a lot of walking, scrambling, camping, holidays, gully scrambling, getting wet in rivers, that kind of thing. And then as we got a bit older, we started going indoors more. And then when we were about, I think when I was like 13, mum sent me and my brother on a course to Plassey Brennan so we could like learn how to trad climb safely because she didn't want to teach us. <laughs> well, I didn't know that actually. I assumed yeah. your mum and dad had taught you. No, I think I think mum just, yeah, she just wanted someone professional to teachers and it's probably hard teaching your teenage children stuff yeah so we we went over to Wales for the weekend and learned that and then yeah from then on then we did a lot of trad climbing sport climbing holidays and stuff that's cool and for people that don't know your brother Pete is also really big into climbing and has and it still is now as an adult as well so you've both kind of really carried it on and you you actually had a nickname for a while didn't you as uh, grit kids Oh yeah, we we were the grit kids, and then Pete upgraded to the wide boys. So now I'm just <laughs> I'm just a lonely grit kid still. Can you not still be a grit kid and a wide boy? No, I don't think anyone thinks of him as a grit kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can still be a grit kid though if I'm like 31. Yeah, you can. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. And I guess for people listening, that's because you grew up in Edale, didn't you? So you were in the Peak District. Gritstone is like the local rock type, and it's. It's quite a different kind of rock, isn't it? Can you give people an idea of of how different it is from other things that you've climbed on? Yeah, so, yeah, we did most of our um, trad climbing, uh, like you say, on the Gritstone, which is very short in comparison to a lot of the other places in the country. It's short and it's bold and it cracks and your main gear that you place is like cams rather than... For example, in Pembroke, it's for wires. So it, it's quite like easy gear placing. And at the top, it's really easy to set up um, belays and stuff like that. So it was a bit of a shock when I started climbing elsewhere and had to actually place wires and actually have some skills. <laughs> <laughs> but also on the grit, like compared to other trad climbing venues in the UK or abroad, there's also, especially as... Um, grit gets harder grade wise and difficulty wise it gets quite dangerous quite quickly doesn't it because mm. the cliffs are quite short and it's quite a bouldery style as well so as you get into harder routes you start thinking about ground falls and things like that which is I think quite a different style of trad climbing to a lot of places yeah yeah totally yeah because it's a lot shorter but I mean we weren't really that sort of stuff never really crossed my mind as like a young climber growing up because we you know we were only on the like the s's hard vs's which had lots of cracks in gear placements and and i suppose i didn't really know any better because that was our main place of climbing so yeah yeah of course. And I, didn't, I didn't really know about the hard stuff either until hard grit came out and then i was like oh cool <laughs> <laughs> was that quite a meaningful moment for you then when hard grit came out did that inspire you to do some of the stuff that you later did yeah well i think at the time when it came out i mean me and pete had it on um like a vhs 
uh, thing and we just watched it all the time. Um, but we were, or personally, I was never like, oh, I'm going to climb some of those routes because I was really young and I, they just looked, we'd just watch it and just be like horrified that these people were doing these really dangerous, scary climbs. But it's so, it's, oh, I don't know, it's just so well made, isn't it? That film that you just get so into it. Um, but yeah, watching it, I was never like, yeah, I, I'm inspired to go and climb all those things. Maybe, maybe Pete was, I've never actually asked him. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know, actually. Yeah. And, and when you guys were climbing together, was there much, like, rivalry? Like, if Pete did something with that, like, a spur you want to do something or vice versa, were you, like, keeping up with each other a bit or was it just that you climbed together? Um, well, I think Pete and I were actually, like, we were quite a similar ability for a long time. Um, probably until Pete started, well, became like a teenager and got strong and muscly and that kind of thing. So we, it was just nice cause we were quite similar. So we knew we could climb similar things. So if we went on sport climbing trips, we'd try similar things. Um, obviously when we did competitions for a long time, we were in separate, um, categories. There was no competition there. I think it probably would have been a lot different if, Pete was a girl and mm. we were in the same age category that probably would have been very different um but it was just you know he was a boy I was a girl there's no competition there um and actually climbing outside like I remember Pete coming home one day and saying that he'd headpointed um a route at Burbage South called Life Assurance which is uh, an E6 so he'd put a top rope down it and practiced it and then he'd led it and he just came home and said, oh, yeah, I did that today. And I remember being like, whoa, oh, right, cool. Right, maybe I can do that then. So then I went out and, and did the same. So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't like, it was more like inspiring, at least for me anyway. Pete, I don't know what Pete thinks. But <laughs> we need to do a sequel <laughs> podcast where he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just yeah, trying to keep up with Katie the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. It sounds like really nice, um, like a nice sibling relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously Pete got a lot better and changed direction. And But then we were, it was probably like late teenage years, early adult years, and we didn't climb together as much then anyway, so. Yeah. And before that, you had a, a spate of time doing competitions, didn't you? Yeah, so we used to do the Bricks, which has another name now. Yeah, like, I remember it's the Bricks as well. Yeah, it's like the youth, where you do like one in every region, then you go through to like a national finals or whatever. So we both did that for a long time. And we did like BICCs, which is the leading ones as a senior Oh, no, they do junior as well, don't they? I don't know what they're all called now. So. <laughs> all the competitions that are going now just had different names back then. Yeah. So we both used to do all those. And, you know, mum and dad would drive us around the country going to all these competitions, usually with Leah as well. Leah Crane would come and stay with us and we'd all go together. Um, and actually those, those competitions were really nice because we made a lot of friends that you would only get to see when you went through to like the finals or whatever. So like Hazel, that was where I got to know Hazel. Um, and yeah, and loads of other people. And most of those people are still climbing now. So you like bump mm. into people every now and again and you're like, oh, hi. 
Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. It's funny because I was definitely around at that time, but I was kind of just on the outskirts a bit because you guys were all like, you guys were on the kind of GB youth team. And because I remember you all had like your uniforms and I looked up to you all and was like, oh, they're all so strong and would always make finals. And I was always like, I think finals was always like top six when we were that age or something. And I was always like, I think I was seventh a lot or eighth. And uh, so I was never quite, you know, like on the inner circle. <laughs> Yeah, and Pete was on, so we were both on the GB team for a long time as well, so we went on a lot of trips, and yeah, we did a lot of that stuff together for, I don't know, eight years maybe, and then Pete stopped, and I carried on into senior uh, year, so senior British bouldering team and senior leading team. Yeah, yeah, which is where we kind of met actually, on the senior bouldering team, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that also coincided with when you got into doing slightly more kind of hard, scary grit. Was it, it was around 2009 that you had, you started, you did like things like Braille Trail, Clues Climb, Master's Edge. Is that about right? Were you about 20? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit younger. Mm. Maybe I feel like, I think I was like 18 in Grit Kids and that was, I just started doing stuff then. Okay, um, yeah. And I, I think actually the hard grit stuff kind of came about because of my boyfriend at the time, Ryan, um, and I guess a lot of people I was hanging out with, that was kind of what they did. So I ended up going down that sort of route. I mean, they definitely weren't into head pointing. That was like definitely not what they did. <laughs> but that's what I ended up doing because the climbs that I found inspiring, the only way I I was ever going to climb them was to headpoint them. So for me, that was fine. Yeah. yeah. And that's because they're quite dangerous kind of no fall zones. And exactly, yeah. so you really want to practice them. And then when you do lead them, the idea is you don't leave the ground unless you're not, not coming off. Right. Yeah. Which is quite, a, you know, it's quite an extreme mentality for someone that's like 18. Like that's quite yeah. like mentally, that's quite a lot to absorb. But I think, um, I think I didn't really understand it. I think I just thought, oh yeah, you top rope a top rope a climb, and and so then you can do it. So you're obviously not gonna like. I never considered the falling off part. I was just like, well, you don't fall off, do you? Because you know you can do it. So I was quite naive and maybe like a bit cocky about it. <laughs> okay, with those first ones. Yeah, yeah, because I did just top rope it, and then I did them, and it was fine. So then I kind of just thought you could just do that with anything. Um, so I so I did that with uh, a climb called End of the Affair. Um, I went out and I top roped it, and that's an E8, which actually is one of the few E8s on grit you can probably get away with falling off um, if you've got a good B layer. And I just top roped it, and I was like, "Yeah, it's fine." Like with all the other same things that I had pointed, I was like, "I can do it." But I also just had this like underlying feeling that it was a bad day to do it. You know, when you just got like this gut feeling, but at the time I just didn't listen to that. I was like, oh yeah, I can do it. It's easy. Mm. And then I just set off on it and totally fluffed it. And my foot popped off some, off a massive foothold. And I just, it flipped me like backwards. And then I just landed upside down at the bottom. Um, and I was totally fine because I wasn't um, at the crux. Um, but that, that was like almost like a changing 
yeah changing moment where I was just like oh right yeah I'm not invincible I can't just top rope and top rope these climbs and just do them I, I would need to actually have some sort of consideration and and thought about yeah the risks and if I'm willing to do that mm. uh, so, so after that then I kind of stopped head pointing for a few years and did more ground up stuff um yeah just I think it was a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a shock yeah, I'm not surprised. A bit of like a reality check, I guess. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. And so switching to doing stuff ground up, how did that change your mentality? Because in some ways, it's kind of more scary doing something ground up because you don't know necessarily what's coming in terms of difficulty and, and how you'll cope with that difficulty. Yeah, I, I think, so then this stage of my climbing was was a bit more influenced by someone else that I was climbing with. I was climbing with Ned um, Fieli lot. Um, and he was very into like ground up, putting bouldering mats under stuff, like mm. making plateaus. And so I was like, cool, well, at least this, for me, it felt like a better style because I wasn't head pointing it. I wasn't practicing it first. I was putting bouldering mats down, which some people didn't agree with, but for me, it felt like a better style of climbing. Um, and it just felt more fun because you know, we'd only put bouldering mats under stuff which were like, you know, we wouldn't put bouldering mats under like Gaia, for example, which is actually a route. We would put bouldering mats under stuff which were reasonable to put bouldering yeah. mats. So like high <laughs> balls, but not solos kind of yeah, realm. Exactly. So, so it was just quite fun because we'd just go and we'd mess around and we'd fall off and it, it felt like lighter than, more lighthearted than like a serious head point kind of thing. Mm. So. But I guess by putting pads down, you're kind of planning for the fall, aren't you? You're kind of thinking, I might fall off this and, and it's going to be okay within reason if I fall off this rather yeah. than, I think if you leave the ground, yeah, it's a completely different mindset, isn't it? Leaving the ground thinking, I can't fall. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good point. And I also kind of, with, with that uh, ground up climbing, I found a bit of a niche of, uh, stuff that I was good at which was slab climbing and that worked well because I didn't have to be because I mainly climbed with men on the grit and so it was a bit more equal like I didn't have to be really strong and physically the same as them it was all about like technique and movement and so you could be equal with them so it was that was really enjoyable because we were all kind of on a yeah on like an equal path yeah like a level playing field again yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah yeah but you did return to some of the hard grit roots headpoint style didn't you because in was it 2013 or 2014 you did Gaia um and then you did knocking on heaven's door as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so so that was because so I'd seen either a picture or a video of Lisa Rand sat on top of Gaia. And like the I remember classic, it, yeah. Yeah, classic layback photo. And I'd seen all this stuff about Lisa Rand's climbing Gaia when I was, I don't know, when I was a lot younger. And I just thought it was absolutely amazing. I just thought it was like the most beautiful climb. Like it's just like this freestanding block and it's got all these beautiful shapes in. And yeah, and the, uh, uh, the picture is like Lisa like straddling the top of the the rock and she's like cheering at the top and it, I don't know it just like really really stuck in my head and um I was just like I, I want to do that climb and so 
for like the following years, like I'd top rope it every now and again, but I just never felt brave enough to actually go for the lead. And so it had just been like every winter, it would be like niggling in my head, like, oh, Gaia, Gaia, Gaia. Um, so I think just eventually after doing these highballs and slabs, I was just like, right, I just need to, I just need to like put this thing to bed and just do it. And so, so I did, so the preparation for that was climbing um, a few E7s and then like really working on, yeah, like I had a couple of sessions, top roping Gaia and just like trying to get a good mindset and yeah I guess I just really focused on that being my goal which I'd not really done before with any head points mm. it felt like quite a big a big one to do um and I was oh actually I went with Dave the day that I yeah. did it and we were just like oh I was so nervous and we like piled loads of stuff in my tiny little course so we had like bouldering mats in there because I I think Dave wanted to try something else. We had ladders. We had like, we were like full to the rafters. We drove there. I was basically like in my head, I was just like, it's going to be wet. It's going to be wet. It's fine. Like we'll just go there, but it's going to be wet. So I won't be able to do it. And then I got there and I was just like, not wet. (laughs) It's probably going to go dark soon. So I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to do it. And then I was just like, just tie in. It was like one of those ones where you just like trick yourself kind of just tie in. And then I was like, right, I'm tied in now. So just set off and you've you've still got the the really hard bit is um is well protected so I was like well I'll just see if I can get past that bit and then I just kind of got higher and higher and then yeah yeah that's cool it's hard though Gaia psychologically I think because we've all seen that old footage of um I've forgotten his name now but the French climber taking taking the fall off Gaia that quite a few videos of people taking falls out of that groove yeah, and it doesn't look like something you'd want to do. No. Take that fall. <laughs> and I think it makes a big difference that we have like a visual almost representation of it from video footage of of people having had that. So it's like you have an idea of what it might be like. Yeah, um, so precarious, that corner. Like the only way I could do it was literally like stepping out to this hold and then just putting my middle finger against the corner. And that was just one middle finger was enough to help me like balance across to like match this hold it's so precarious yeah it sounds Such it. A method that they flashed it <laughs> <laughs> slightly <laughs> lunatic I think yeah, yeah and actually the bit that one of the bits that I found hardest was right at the very end just pulling off the sloper and getting the big aret hold by that point you definitely can't fall off there mm. no one else seems to find that hard um but anyway That's I did it so I was psyched yeah that's cool yeah. And I remember talking to you about knocking on Heaven's Door, which is another EA in the Peak District. And again, very technical um, climbing, so kind of suited you and something that you wanted to do. But I remember you saying that it, you kind of, you didn't fall off knocking, did you? But when you went for the lead, but it kind of scared you a bit. Yeah, I, I went on knocking because I was looking for like hard slab climbs to try. Um, so I went on that and it was a hard slab climb and, but it was really good. Um, but it was just one of those stupid things where it just got in my head and I was just like, well, I know I can do it, so I should just do it. Um, but it's a really, 
it's a really hard E8. Like it feels more like it's pushing E9. Just the gear is really, really low. Um, and I'm obviously really glad and proud that I did it, but it, I just, when I did it, it wasn't the same as when I did Gaia. It was just, I just felt like relief that I was alive, relief that it had gone okay. And it just, I just, it also just felt a bit stupid. I was just like, why did I do that? Like I basically did it for a stupid reason, which was because I couldn't let it go in my head, which is maybe a bit of ego. And, and that's not a good reason to do these things. And so that kind of was just like the nail in the coffin for head pointing for me. I just was like, I'm done with it. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting that because I remember that um, talking to you about it at the time. And I remember that that was kind of it. You, you kind of steered away from the hard grit trout at that point. And I think often people make that choice when they have a bad experience. Like, like I'm, it almost seems more likely that would have happened after what happened on end of the affair for you taking that fall rather than one that you had success on but yeah. it's kind of great that you can learn from it from the feeling rather than the yeah. outcome and end of the affair like it is you can fall off it like it's not it's definitely not safe but just knocking it just didn't feel like I could have fallen off it uh yeah I don't know it was just it was stupid. yeah and then you look back and you think wow that was you know it could have gone either way because we can always have a foot slip right Exactly, yeah, totally, yeah. Especially and on that technical terrain. It was very rushed as well. Like, we'd gone there and I, it, was, it was a situation again where I kind of tripped myself up. We could see this massive rain cloud coming towards us. And so I just put my boots on, tied on, like started climbing it because the bottom half is really easy. So, you know, you're just like, well, what if that rain cloud had come whilst I was like halfway up it? Yeah, it was just like so many bad decisions. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm done. I don't, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. How did your parents feel about this whole phase of hard grit? Because obviously they're experienced climbers. And I think sometimes the benefit of having parents that don't climb is that they don't really maybe get everything. So like sometimes they think what you're doing is way more dangerous than it is. And I've had conversations like that with my parents where I'm like, it's sport climbing, like it's really not too bad, you know. But then when I've done highballs, that, you know, for me, it's more, you know, you might break your legs rather than anything worse. But that distinction isn't really there for non-climbers, yeah. I think. So I imagine it must be different with your parents. Yeah. It's hard to explain to someone that's not a climber. But I imagine so. your parents were kind of fully aware. You know, they know the roots, they know the history, they know the kind of nature of that climbing. I mean, it's in the names, isn't it? Knocking on heaven's door and um, yeah. things like that. And also with knocking on heaven's door when Pete and I were little and we'd like go and try gorilla warfare, which is the bold problem at the bottom. You know, we'd go and look at knocking on heaven's door and we'd always be like, why would you do a climb called knocking on heaven's door? Like, it looks so scary. It's like, yeah, what what would you be thinking to do that kind of thing? Um, but mum and dad, yeah, they've never ever dissuaded us from doing what we wanted to do um especially with our climbing and obviously Pete has done a lot more dangerous stuff than I have but I think that they trust our judgment and 
our ability and if that we think we can do it then then they're they're all in for that you know mum has belayed me and belayed Pete on a lot of hard stuff which I don't know how she did that I don't think I would want to be responsible for having to like run back down a grassy bank if someone if yeah if my son or daughter fell off like oh yeah but then I guess in some ways as a parent maybe if you're experienced you think well I'd rather I was belaying than anyone else because yeah. if you know what you're doing you think well at least you know you're not watching some one of their other friends a similar age thinking I hope you know what you're doing yeah yeah that's true yeah but even like when I'm in those positions of belaying I get yeah, I don't trust myself and I know that I can, I could do it, but I still don't trust myself. So mm. I don't, yeah. it's really difficult actually, I think being a support person or a family member or something when someone's doing that dangerous stuff, because you don't want to, you want to support someone and, and you want them to kind of um, do well and, and have wonderful experiences. And I think we can't live life without any risk. Um, especially given that we're all climbers, you know, there's a kind of inherent risk in, in that, but also, mm. and, but also you, you kind of don't want, obviously, the people that you love to hurt themselves. So it's like this balance. But when someone's made that decision to do something, the last thing you want to do is put doubt in their mind yeah, at the totally. last minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like, oh, are you sure? Like, are you sure you're ready for this? Or are you sure it's good enough conditions? Or And like, especially letting us do those things when we were children, basically. Mm. Like, yeah, it's, it is impressive that they did that yeah really impressive yeah I mean <laughs> thank you yeah. Mom and Dad. <laughs> yeah nice one nice one Jill and Paul <laughs> I mean I found on a much smaller scale with my partner David like he's when he he's had like little flurries of doing some hard grit and I've basically not really been there for many of his hard things and there's a couple of things that he's done that have been more dangerous that I've been there for I found it really really hard because mm. I basically didn't really want him to take the risk because, yeah. you know, selfishly, I just want him to live as long as possible and, you know, don't want him to have a bad experience. But, and it's really hard when you're so emotionally invested in someone. And I think it makes it harder for him because he knows that I'm feeling that. Um, I think as well, actually, that's a good point. It's, it's way harder just being the person stood there watching. So maybe that's why it's easier to be lay because you've got true. something to talk about. Um, yeah, being the climber or being the bee layer, you've you got stuff to think about, whereas just standing there watching is just like you're analysing every little shaky move or like, the, oh, they've done that movement slightly different or they've got that hold slightly different, like, yeah. Yeah, you feel really kind of impotent. Oh, that's yeah. how I've certainly felt when I've had those experiences. Um, yeah, and it's, I think it's very hard to hide how you're feeling as well from people that know you really well, so as a spectator or supporter, sometimes it's better not to be there if you know it's going to happen anyway. Because um, then it almost frees their mind a little bit. Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. So after yeah. that kind of hard grip phase, you then, after knocking and stuff, you kind of shifted more to sport climbing, didn't you? Yeah, I kind of felt like... I, f I felt like, oh, right, I've challenged myself mentally with scary climbs. Um, and like technical climbs and you know on the slabs and stuff and so as I well the next stage for me is to really like challenge myself physically with 
hard sport climbers. So it's safe, but it's just going to be really hard. You've got to be really strong, you've got to be really fit. And so that felt like also a bit more of a relaxing um, prospect. Obviously, there's different mental challenges to hard red pointing, but uh, the fear aspect of it was kind of... Yeah, it's a different ball game in terms of like injury and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, and also just like, I felt like getting a bit more stuck into doing some training and yeah, that kind of thing, so... And yes, not many, so. not many slabs with yeah. uh, what you were doing then. <laughs> um, so I went to out out to Oliana with a couple of friends to check out a route there called uh, China Crisis. I just went for a week and um, just had a look at it, went bolt to bolt on it, kind of thing, and just kind of thought about what sort of thing I might need to do, uh, what sort of training I might need to do if I was ever going to get up this climb. So then I came back did like six months of training or whatever and then went back out again yeah that's cool and china crisis is uh like an 8b plus isn't it um yeah yeah, so like you went in you went in hard yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then you got psyched on mecca as well didn't you in the in the uk another 8b plus but quite a like a short one which means it's yeah i I was like well china crisis was really really long and pumpy it was like 45 meters or something so I was like, well, now I want to test myself on a my auntie's diet, which is bouldery power endurance and local. And you were trying the extension, weren't you? Were you trying the extension then? Yeah, yeah. We tried it together, yeah, didn't so. we? Yeah. 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 And we were on like humidity patrol, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For people that don't know the route, this is a Raven tour in the Peak District. And it's uh, it's kind of like a classic old school sport climbing limestone crag that to be honest it doesn't look it doesn't always look like much when you drive past it does it no but it's got some really kind of it's got some really cool movement and some kind of pretty iconic historic routes there yeah. and there uh, it's a it's a favorite among kind of locals in the peak yeah and that was definitely um that was a lot harder for me than china crisis it was not my style at all so i was really yeah still even though a lot of people have done that now it's quite I feel quite proud about that still yeah yeah you should I think I think that's a really good way to think of your achievements actually and I think that's something you're really good at it's not about the numbers or the numbers compared to what someone else has done it's okay well what was really hard for you at the time and what did you have to develop either your mindset or your physical ability in order to kind of get to that point yeah it's a really good way to kind of view progress and view climbing achievements or at least a much more sustainable way otherwise you're constantly chasing something yeah I, yeah I've definitely done the chasing <laughs> and because I remember then you went back to Oliana and had a trip looking at an even harder route and this was this, this was, was the chasing part <laughs> this was the chasing part so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so I basically just like got into my head again that I really wanted to climb 8C I really wanted to climb 8C I've always wanted to climb 8C like since I was little want to climb 8C I just became focused and obsessed with climbing 8C um and Alex and I um had done a like a van trip the year before out to Europe for a few months and then this next van trip was meant to be um yeah another few months and it was kind of so I could find a project and maybe do it um, and so I was like, I want to try um, mind control at Oliana, which is like 
a really, really long, really, really pumpy HC. <laughs> um, and luckily for me, uh, I met up with Hazel Finley, who was in her van as well. And Hazel was practicing um, her, not practicing, she was like, wanted someone to do some test, um, like one to one um sessions with on like mindset on climbing she was like do you want to do some and I was like yeah yeah definitely because you know I'm on a climb AC so um so we started doing these sessions and basically she was like well why do you want to climb AC and I was like because I've always wanted to climb I've always wanted to climb it that's the grade I want to climb and she was like we just talked about it more and more and I just realized that a lot of the reason why I wanted to do it was very extrin- extrinsic reasons rather than, yeah, I just, I've just become so locked into, to what people thought of me and, and chasing the next grade because I'd done 8B plus. So the next one was 8C and it was just like, go, go, go. Like you have to be better. You have to do harder. Like, And I did these sessions with Hazel and I was suddenly just like, that is not what I'm about. That is not like why I started climbing. That's not what I want to do. Um, And, and, and then I hurt myself on it as well. So I I couldn't try it. Mm. (laughs) Um, But I, I realized that actually what I wanted was what I enjoyed about climbing was being with my friends and having a really nice time and going trad climbing and being on sea cliffs or being in the mountains or on-siteing sport climbing. I love on-site sport climbing. And it wasn't necessarily the stressful red pointing, pushing my grade, pushing myself, training, training, training. Like, um, yeah, so Hazel really like helped me through that and yeah, made me see what I wanted from climbing yeah that's that's really cool and it's quite a big epiphany to have and I think I think a lot of climbers um fall into this trap at some point during their climbing lifetime and I certainly have as well and and it's I think it's really liberating when you see it suddenly from a different perspective and you can kind of step back and be like okay why am I doing this and and what are my motivations and I think for someone like you as well I imagine because from such a young age, you were so good at climbing and got attention quite young as well. You know, news articles when you did hard grit and all that kind of stuff, it can get so interweaved into our sense of identity and who we are. And, you know, you're Katie the climber and you're the grit kid. And that comes with maybe a certain expectation of doing the next hard thing. And I remember that period of time where you were kind of untangling yourself from that. And... And was really, going, who am I outside of this? Yeah, and like, do people still like me? Like, it sounds stupid saying it, but like, do people still like me if I don't climb hard? Um, yeah, who are my friends? Like, am I still accepted if I'm not a climber or if I don't climb hard? Um, and obviously, like, I was. And anyone that was my friend was my friend because they liked me and... they like my personality not because I climbed an HC (laughs) but yeah you just get so sucked down that that 
that hole and that um, people giving you like positive affirmations on social media and news articles online, like in person that, that you think that that is the way to go kind of. So yeah, it, it, it does sound a little bit ridiculous, but I don't think it does. It becomes like part of where we get, I guess, our sense of confidence and self-esteem from. Yeah, yeah. And it's finding a more intrinsic way to make that sustainable so that if you, I don't know, get an injury or, or for whatever reason and climbing's not something you can do, that you can still find kind of contentment and happiness. Um, and you had yeah. a bad injury for quite a long time. You hurt your back. And that was before Oliana, but cropped up again in Oliana, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I hurt my back because um, I started CrossFit. <laughs> and anyone that knows me, I'm like tall and thin and don't put on muscle easily. So going to CrossFit was like my idea of uh, trying to do some like conditioning. Um, and I was very aware that I could have got injured easily. So I was trying to be careful, but I obviously the mindset at CrossFit is very just like, go, 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 rather than like helping you with form and posture and that sort of stuff. And I was doing a deadlift and I just, yeah, hurt my lower back. Um, and it was bad for years and years. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember your back, it, it really shook the foundations for you, didn't it, with climbing? It was so up and down for yeah. so long. Yeah. Um, and then, so this is a, a, quite a few years ago now, you decided to move from Sheffield to Wales, to North Wales, which is where you live now. And I also think that was quite a big, you know, I, I guess I have inside knowledge as a friend of yours, but that was quite a big change for you. You know, having grown up in the Peak District, you went to uni in Sheffield. Um, so you were kind of always in the Peak or in Sheffield and you were so you know, in that scene, which was wonderful and great for so many years. But I think part of this kind of shift and epiphany and change for you was saying, okay, I want to live somewhere else for a bit. Um, and it was partly to do with your partner, Alex, who was from, lived in North Wales and you decided to, to move there. And it seems like it's been a really positive change for you. Yeah. I think, um, that change in mindset of, of being like, right, what makes me happy? At the moment, at the moment, hard red pointing, hard grip climbing, hard climbing doesn't make me happy. And I can't do it because I'm injured. So, and and Sheffield for me felt very like that was what it was. It was training, it was hard climbing, it was, yeah. And there's, there's I'm sure there's absolutely loads of things to do, other things that I could have done in Sheffield, but. I couldn't see them at the time and so I'd been coming down to Wales a bit because Alex lived down here and I just saw all this other stuff there were mountains there was the sea there was you know we could go swimming in the lake we could go surfing we could do all this other stuff and it and it didn't there was no focus on performance and I didn't have to go climbing like climbing at, at the time then just didn't feel very good because I was injured it just felt my body felt horrible it was felt like I was dragging myself like up climb up climbs and like climbing feels nice when you feel like flicky and engaged and like you don't have like 
you don't have to be fit and strong, but you know when your body feels like connected and good and it just didn't feel good. So finding new sports and things to try, there was no um there was no pressure on those and there was no sort of um there was nothing to compare myself to. It was like, oh, I've never been surfing before, so obviously I won't be able to do any of this. I just lie on a surfboard and it'll be fun. Yeah, I guess going back to that beginner's mindset, which you yeah, probably exactly. don't even remember having with climbing, right? Because you started so yeah. young. You're probably like, that's a, it's a great space to be in, the beginner, where you're yeah. completely at ease with the fact that you're rubbish at something. You ask for all the help. And yeah, yeah. you also learn stuff quite quickly because it's yeah. new. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. And still, like now, how long have I lived here? Maybe like five or six years. And we're still just like always going to try random new stuff. Like everyone at the moment is really into skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever I come and see you, I'm always like, what's the latest thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's good things and bad things out there for doing one thing for a really long time. You can get so immersed yeah. in it and you can have really positive experiences, but you can also can also get a bit tired and a bit kind of um, complicated psychologically. And uh, one of the things we were going to touch on today, actually, is um, we were chatting about this the other day, the um, Caroline Treadway light documentary that came out recently that was talking about, um, you know, how climbing's a weight sensitive sport and the prevalence and kind of lack of awareness of eating disorders and and, um, kind of chasing lightness within climbing. And, you know, we discussed this in, I guess, like a, a body image as a wider issue and not you know the lightness is obviously a big issue in our community and um a lot of people I think probably don't have the best relationship with kind of food and exercise through climbing because it's so weight sensitive but there's also this kind of other side to kind of just generally the way we view athlete bodies in climbing and as a community and you've had a certain experience of that um in a different way haven't you yeah yeah so obviously the film is focusing like you're saying on eating disorders and being light but I think probably within most sports there's probably a lot of body shaming in general um and especially with climbers there's so many different body types isn't there especially with women um and so uh like I said before I'm quite tall I'm just five nine and a half um and quite thin not unhealthily looking thin, I don't think, but, um, and yeah, find it hard to build muscle. And so, I mean, I probably got tall when I was a teenager and so pretty much I've spent the last, yeah, however long being told that I'm lanky, being told that I'm tall, being told that I'm gangly. Um, and you know, lanky and gangly, they're not associated with positive things. Um, and, you know, that's fine. I, you know, I can I can laugh that off or whatever. But then there's another side to it, which is... So I've only ever won two competitions that are, like, actually meaningful. One was, a, a like, a British bouldering competition and one was um, the Climbing Works International Competition. And both of those have been tainted by people saying, oh, you only won because you're tall or other competitors complaining that the 
problems were too reachy and that's why I won. Um, the same on grit. Oh, you've only climbed that because you're tall. Uh, you must be six foot. That's it's easy for you on grit because because you can reach all the holds, um, and yeah, just I don't know if so. If everyone that's five foot nine can do everything that I can do. I don't know. It's just not taken into account anything. It's just passing a judgment on what I look like. Yeah, and it's 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 really unfair, isn't it? Because you know, climbing so multifaceted, like I think as a community, we should be able to do a lot better than, oh, you're tall, oh, you're short. Like that's so linear and basic. And yeah, I, I think it's it's a shame that people revert to that still. And, and you know, when we've talked about it in the past, I'm kind of like middling height, aren't I? I'm, I'm like five seven, so I'm probably a bit taller than quite a few of our other female friends that climb, but I'm not as tall as you are. And I've never really had it either way. I generally, I don't find that I'm often you know really too short for things or really too tall for things or anything like that um but I see it loads I see shorter climbers complaining about reach and and it Mm. always seems in that direction and it always to me seems quite unfair because I think although it might be very obvious when okay in some scenarios it is going to be easier if you're tall to reach a certain hold off a certain foothold but there's so many scenarios where actually it's much harder if you're tall because it's a really bunched position and your, your bum is like, you know, halfway to New Zealand because yeah. of how long your limbs are. And not even like, I, I don't even personally, I don't feel like there even needs to be a comparison. Like why, why make those remarks? You know, in, in a competition, the root setters are like the best root setters in the country, in the world. Their like job is to set a climb for that um, category. And they know all the women are short. So they're not going to set really reachy climbs. It's just a bit naff. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. And it doesn't look at a bigger picture of of genetics, essentially. Like, yes, genetically you're taller, but you also have really long limbs. So it's hard for you to build muscle. And we don't look at strong climbers and say, oh, it's easy for you because we're strong. We assume that they worked hard to to get that strength. But some climbers just genetically are going to be build muscle like super easily and be high responders but that often gets you know it's not fair um comparison is it when people make the comments they don't even think anything about them they probably just think oh you're lucky because you're tall like and I am lucky because I'm tall (laughs) but um yeah and I, I think that is like does have a big impact on you when you're a teenager and everyone that you're climbing with is a short woman and they're all making comments about how tall you are like I definitely like wished that I was small for a long time and like slouched a lot and had bad posture because I just wanted to like yeah be shorter than I was I don't anymore but I just think we need to think about what we're saying before we say it yeah no absolutely yeah and it's good to kind of expand that discussion into like we were saying, obviously that light documentary talks very much about weight and and I think that's it's really important to focus in on that in some ways, but it's also there is a wider issue of of how we look at and judge other people's bodies in the context of sport and climbing. And as a community, can we just just like do better <laughs> yeah. and think a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure I'm I'm sure I've said stuff to people without thinking, thinking that it's not a bad thing to say, but it's just like I think 
a lot of men and women are sensitive about what they look like and so an offhand comment you might remember for the next for the rest of your life that someone said that to you and they don't even remember saying it yeah 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 yeah. no definitely I remember being told I was really sturdy once (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh and you know it was probably meant as like you know strong secure body or something I don't know how that was meant but I was like oh I don't want to be sturdy (laughs) (laughs) so now bit of a subject change you've gone into a whole different phase of life because you have a little girl called Pippa you decided to start a family in Wales and that's you know how was that decision because that was you know climbing and starting a family I think a lot of and maybe I should just speak for myself, I guess, maybe not everyone else, but I certainly growing up very climbing focused and sport focused, always wondered if I could have my cake and eat it, you know, wanting to have a family, but also wanting to carry on doing all the kind of sporting things that I loved. And how was that decision for you? Um, I remember having, actually having the conversation with Alex and it was when we were on a road trip in the van. Um, you know, so all we, we were just there in our van and we were just climbing every single day. And obviously it was amazing and we were so lucky and privileged to be there. But I think we we had this conversation and we both just felt like there was something else. We wanted something else. This wasn't just what we wanted from our life. We wanted, yeah, it, it, it needed to look a bit different for us. And so that we wanted, yeah, to have children. So you you like have that conversation and you make that decision, but... I think you're never quite 100% all in. You're still like, oh God, but what if this happens? What if that happens? I'm not going to be able to do this and that. And it's going to change everything. And everyone tells you like how different your life's going to be and how tired you're going to be. And a lot of people tell you like all these negative things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah we we obviously committed to that and I was lucky in that I had quite an easy pregnancy um and so I could still do a lot of stuff I still went climbing quite a bit and walking a lot um so it didn't change that much for me in pregnancy um and I loved being pregnant as well I loved having a bump (laughs) um and then I was I was quite a lot of people kept saying to me like it's all going to change it's all going to change and it's it's scary isn't it because you're basically committing to something for the rest of your life that you know nothing about. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good way to put it, actually, isn't it? And you just don't know until you're there, and when you're there, not, there's not no going back. <laughs> and I think that's what's scary and it's you know it's your body like you're giving up your body um and so I was quite because everyone had told me like that my life wasn't going to change um I was quite stubborn in that I was like oh sorry that they told me my life was going to change I was quite stubborn in that I was just like it's not going to (laughs) change um but obviously it did change um and I kind of wasn't prepared for uh yeah wasn't prepared for like the sleep the yeah the everything of having a baby Mm. yeah well I mean you can't it's like indescribable (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm sure. So how did being a mum and then being a climber kind of, how did that shift your sense of identity and priorities? So after I had Pippa, I had a, I had a really long labour, um, like quite a few days, and I was awake for like quite a few nights. So then after labour, I was absolutely knackered. And then obviously you breastfeeding a baby, and so he just you, you're not really sleeping at all, and that kind of knocked me sideways. I wasn't really expecting to be so exhausted. Uh, and so the I mean the idea of even going climbing was not on my radar at all. I didn't want yeah. to go climbing. Um, I mean, before I had Pippa, I was like, yeah, I'll express some milk and then I'll just be back to it. You know, I'll go out on my bike and I'll leave the baby with Alex and I'm going to do this and that. And and actually, I didn't want to leave Pippa. I didn't like, I didn't want to do anything. I did quite a bit of walking, but my main thing was that I didn't want to leave Pippa. Um I didn't want to go off for half a day and mm. yeah uh, and I, I wasn't expecting to feel like that um and I was very conscious about resting and like recovering properly so I didn't climb until I was like six months postpartum um and I did like a lot of pelvic floor and physio exercises um but for me it just I was just too exhausted to even think about climbing. Um, and then at six months, I went on a sport climbing trip to Greece, which was really nice. And just like way more chilled than if, than trying to like go back to the wall or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, identity wise, it was a big shift in that I'd had this mindset of like, nothing's going to change. I'm just going to like, be me still, but have a baby and I'm still going to see all my friends and I'm still going to do this and that, which I tried to do to begin with and then realized that was not sustainable. And then I was just like, actually, all I want to do is be with Pippa and I'm not going to get this time back ever again. Climbing can wait. I'm not going to look back on this time and be like, I wish I'd gone climbing more. For me, mm. anyway, like I, I also understand why people do want to go climbing and get back some of that identity. Um, but I knew that if I did that, I would look back and regret not spending this time because it goes so fast. Um, and I, I still feel like that now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like when someone's like, oh, why don't you leave Pippa? And like when I have to take her to nursery, she only goes one day for like a few hours. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to miss out on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I am, I think it's the, the sleep deprivation is just, that is the worst and you don't, and the hormones and you don't, you don't feel like yourself. And then once all that has settled down, I, I was kind of worried that I might never feel like me again, that I was just going to be this like weird emotional wreck of a person. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> poor thing. I remember you saying to me once that, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric around the postpartum period, um, not necessarily in climbing, but in a broader sense, around like getting your body back and getting, you know, your identity back. And and you were like, that doesn't make any sense. You've got to find it's a new body and it's a new identity and you've got to carve a new way forward that is 
you know, different, but perhaps richer in some ways than your previous identity and body. And yeah, it's not about going back. It's about looking forward. And I remember finding that really helpful to hear um, and kind of just completely switched my perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, you're given this like, oh, six weeks, you get a six week checkup, then you're kind of good to go. And that's kind of what I was like, oh yeah, six weeks. Cool. Like I'll be fine after that. I remember going walking at six weeks and thinking, I should be fine. It's been six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and just feeling like like my body just hurt and all these like weird like pains and stuff. And I look back and think, obviously you're going to feel like that. I mean, and I think what's weird is that the support only really lasts for like six to 12 weeks and then you're kind of thrown out there on your own and if you keep breastfeeding especially your hormones are still very different and there's not really much if you're just a person not doing activities and still breastfeeding your body's still very different but if you're wanting to like do sport and train and breastfeed there's just like no information out there on on like how your body should feel, what you should be careful of, what you should or shouldn't do. Um, and it, uh, that's quite hard. I found that quite hard. Or like how you might be feeling. Um, yeah. I also really burn out, like totally cooked it in the first year of having Pippa. And I felt like I'd physically been very respectful of my body, but mentally not very respectful in terms of like I just totally overcooked it with like seeing people doing things going to weddings going to Hindus going to baby showers going to like parties going to tr- still trying to do everything of my old life um and I don't regret doing any of that because we had a great time but I was doing all that on like two or three hours sleep um yeah it's a lot and, yeah driving all over the country to do stuff and yeah so like the beginning of lockdown in March I just I was finding it hard to even go for like a short flat walk I was so tired and I I wasn't sleeping at night even though Pippa was sleeping through the night I was only getting I just couldn't fall asleep and if I fell asleep my body was waking me up I was getting maybe like two hours sleep um and I was just I was yeah I was not in a good way and it actually turned out to be a really bad iron deficiency um which then made me mad that they don't do regular blood tests if you're still breastfeeding to like check up on you yeah because they check you a fair bit when you're pregnant and then I guess initially yeah. in the postpartum period but then like you said after you kind of do it um <laughs> and and so apparently when when this when sometimes if you're so deficient in something, your body won't let you sleep because it's trying to wake you up to go and find that thing that you need to like eat it or whatever. I just thought, okay, crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, it's so hard to know, isn't it? (laughs) Because, no it's fine it's so hard to know isn't it because like everyone has such different experiences and like we were saying at the beginning with kind of parenthood and pregnancy and childbirth and then looking after a child as someone that uses their body a lot you kind of have no idea and you hear stories that go in both directions of extreme 
of people kind of, like you say, for want of a better word, kind of snapping back and almost appearing like their old self straight away, just plus a child or people whose lives completely change. And I guess it's that level of uncertainty that, you know, is exciting, but also can be kind of unnerving. Yeah. And you're in, and like, it's really hard to trust yourself because you just, you don't, it's like a whole new thing. So it's hard to, to trust what you, I'd say like before I had Pippa, I was very good at like knowing how my body felt, how my mind felt like what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And then, and then everything changes after the baby. And it's hard to know what is like hormones or just tiredness or you need to rest because yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. And childbirth is such a, you know, I think we often think of recovering from childbirth as in recovering from whether it's a C-section or a vaginal birth or, you know, the kind of physical trauma of getting the baby out. But we don't always think about the fact that your body has already changed so much during nine months of pregnancy in terms of, you know, your organs are basically being rearranged to make space for a small person and loads of stuff is stretched and morphed. And so it's not just the birth that you're recovering from. It's also the kind of resettling of all of that. And then plus, like you say, all the systemic hormone change that then goes on if you if you choose to or can breastfeed. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a really complex kind of planned injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and it's, I feel like I wish we had more of a mindset of like, it's one to two years to recover rather than six weeks. Yeah, because then at least your expectations are in a different place. Yeah, and and also, you know, there's a lot of all the um, sort of like inspiring uh, news articles or posts you read about stuff is people that have like got back to it quickly. Oh, they've run like a ultra marathon when their baby was like six weeks old kind of thing. And it's just like, all right, good for them, but it's not. That's not putting a realistic uh, perspective on motherhood for other people. Yeah, and often it's not the whole picture as well. Like, I actually, did um, not for this Curious Climber podcast, but for um, one of the Lattice Training podcasts where I work. I recently did a had a conversation with Caro. Uh, I always fail to say her surname oh, yeah. correctly. Sheaville. She, how do you say her surname? I have no idea. <laughs> I know who you mean though. Chia Valdini. <laughs> is that about right yeah Caroline and um she was one of those people that I always thought wow you know postpartum she just I think she climbed 80 plus within four months or six months of um of uh yeah of Arthur being born but when I spoke to her in more detail about it um she said yes she did but it was a steep roof crack it was amazing to have done it and on paper obviously that looks like wow she's right back into it but she said that her core wasn't really strong enough for it. And as a result, she strained her bicep quite badly um, oh, yeah. because she was overcompensating. And then she was, she said, you know, I had a bicep injury for two years after that, oh. um, that kind of, you know, really wouldn't, wouldn't kind of shift. So, you know, it's, it's often not the whole picture. And she was saying she's about two years postpartum now saying now she feels like, okay, now yeah. I can push my body without fear of, without it feeling kind of really fragile and, risky um and probably some decent sleep as well which obviously helps with repair and recovery Um, and also like you said you don't know you don't know the full story you don't know what someone's situation is at home 
Mm. Um, maybe they have a full support team of like nutritionists, physios, like training people that look after them. Or maybe they're just, their partner's had two weeks paternity leave and then they're back at work and they're just on their own looking after a baby. And obviously they're not going to get back into climbing and training straight away. Yeah. Just, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's got quite different situations, but I think it's easy to look and be like, oh, but they did it. They're fine. They're coping. They're this, they're that. Yeah. It's that comparison again, isn't it? Coming back yeah, in. Yeah. And do you think with Pippa, I mean, she's only little still, she's coming up to her second birthday, isn't she? But, um, I guess thinking about how your childhood was uh, with your parents, do you think Pippa will be into, well, I suppose you've got a breadth of things that you're into now, climbing, surfing, biking. Yeah. What was yeah. it, skateboarding? <laughs> actually, we've not actually been skateboarding. It's just everyone's into. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we can like do loads of different things and then she can decide what things she might like to do more of or, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Or she might decide she doesn't like being outdoors and she wants to play video games. <laughs> yeah, or she'll be an artist or something. That'd yeah, yeah, yeah. She's pretty into reading books at the moment. That's cool. <laughs> That's well good. Oh, well, thanks. We've covered loads. Is there anything that you wanted to chat about or run over that we haven't covered so far? I feel like we've we've talked about loads of interesting stuff. Mm, I think so. Cool. Well, uh, if people want to follow you, because you have like an Instagram account and Facebook and stuff, don't you? And you you post about what you're up to. Um, yeah. So is it at Katie Whitaker? Does it have an underscore or anything in it? Katie underscore Whitaker. Okay, great. So I can link that into the show notes as well. So if people want to check out what you're up to, what you and Pippa are up to, um, they can do. Alrighty. Well, thanks so much. That was well yeah, fun. Thank you, Nina.